Father, worthy are you, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Go, we praise your name and thank you for that truth that, that you created a way for us to have communion with our Father and, and that we can celebrate that here this morning. God, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name.
Father will never forsake you. Sing that. After all, you are constant. After all, you are only good. After all, you are sovereign. Not for a moment will you forsake me. our Father for that truth this morning. His love never fails. Amen. It's all about Him this morning. You know, one of the things I love so much about worship is, is sometimes we're up here and sometimes we're down here, but the truth of who God is is always rising above and is always true and always strong. Amen. Doesn't matter what we feel, doesn't matter what we think, the truth is, the truth is. And so we're just so thankful for that. We want to say we're glad you're here. And if you're new with us, would you please find us in the Welcome Center? We'd love to give you something for free, just connect with you and just know your story and uh, just serve you and your family. And uh, just a couple things to uh, mention this morning to highlight as you pass the friendship folders. If you pass those, we appreciate that. On March 24th, we have an incredible opportunity to reach out to our communities and surrounding areas just through a really fun opportunity. It's called our Extreme Egg Hunt. And this is going to be obstacle courses for the littles, for the middles, and for the older kids. This is going to be a really cool opportunity to just make finding Easter eggs a little bit a little bit different spins. Last year we had the helicopter. This year we have obstacle courses. And it's free. And uh, we need baked goods. If you'd like to donate some baked goods, some of you who are skilled in the kitchen, would you please uh, stop by the, the desk in the in the foyer and just let them know that you can bake some things. We appreciate that, as well as we have a lot of other volunteer opportunities. We have a really exciting uh, just time coming up of communion and worship coming up on March 29th and 30th. It's going to be our Good Friday service on Thursday and Friday. It's the same service, same night of worship and communion, both on Thursday and Friday. And that's at 7 o'clock right here at Crossroads. And also on Easter, on 6 o'clock on Saturday and 9, 30, and 11 on Sunday, I want to invite you to be a part of our Easter celebration as we worship Jesus and his resurrection. It's going to be a a party, just making Jesus' name famous in this house. And so I want to invite you, and as a a way to kind of reach out to your people that you know, um, as you leave, our 56ers are going to be handing out a little packet of five invitation cards for Easter. And our ladies here have just done a phenomenal job making these look nice. And so it's a bundle of five, and we're just asking that you give one of these out to five people. And one you might keep. And four, you might give away however you feel best, but would you invite five people to join us on Easter? And they have information on there as well as they look great. So if you need more of those, come to the Welcome Center, but they'll be available as you guys leave uh, this morning after the service. As our ushers come forward for our morning offering, we just want to say we're glad you're here. And we don't know everything that's happened this morning. We don't know what happened last night, but we just know that you being here is not from some random reason. God has a purpose for you this morning. We believe that. And so would you join me in prayer? God, we love you. We thank you that at the end of the day, the beauty of our faith, the beauty of Christianity is not how we climb this ladder to get to you, but God, how you got to us first through Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus' finished work on the cross that we have any hope, God, that we have purpose, that we have meaning. And so, God, we just thank you so much for that truth. 
that after all, even in our worst, God, even when we just fail, fall flat on our face, God, that the truth of who you are remains constant, God, that you are sovereign, that you are over all. God, we have mess-ups, we have hang-ups, we have just days where we just can't make it happen. God, we're thirsting for other things. God, I pray that this morning it would just be just a reminder, God, that we should thirst for you because only you, Jesus, will satisfy our deepest thirst. We love you, we love you, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have to give back to you, God, to give to your mission to see Jesus' name made famous in our community, in our city, in our country, God, and in this world. We want to see more people come to know you through Jesus Christ. And so we give now to that mission. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. Amen.
description, your, your arms are open wide no matter where we are this morning, no matter what we come in with. Father, soften our hearts as we hear your word. Excited to hear your truth. We love you. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. continue this morning with our series, the, the Last Words of Jesus. I hope you've been enjoying where we've, uh, the journey that we've been on, looking at the last six hours of the life of Christ before he pays for the, the, final, the final blow, where he pays for the sin of mankind. And uh, thanks be to God that that wasn't the end of the story. For he came back to life again, and he rose again, and that's why we're here today, and we worship this awesome God. So this morning, I'd like to pick up with the, with the fifth saying. He's been on the cross for roughly six hours now. He went up on the cross at 9 o'clock, and now it's almost 3 o'clock, and he's coming down to his final statements, and we have three left to go. So we'll pick up on the fifth statement here today, John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things would, were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine or with vinegar, and put it on hyssop, and put it into his mouth. And so what is happening here, this, this fifth statement that he says is, is I thirst. He, he's saying, it, it, in the Greek, it's dipseo, and it's just, it's one word, dipseo. He's saying, I thirst. I, I'm thirsty. And literally, he's yelling out that, I'm, that, he, that he's thirsty. And you're wondering, what does this mean? Why, why is he saying, I thirst? Uh, he, it's moments before he's going to die. Why is he calling out for a drink at this point? That he needs, he needs some water for, uh, to, to help him. Uh, if you look back at Mark chapter 15, you'll say, well, earlier they offered him something to drink and he didn't take it. So why, why is now, why at the end is he taking it? Mark 15 verse 23, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And so here's what happened. They would often give, they would take wine and they would mix it with myrrh and they would give it to, to the criminals on the cross. And they did that as a narcotic. The myrrh was a narcotic. Uh, so they didn't have Advil. They didn't have Oxycontin. They didn't have a Vicodin and all the painkillers that you get when you go to a hospital today. They had myrrh. So they would take this myrrh and they would mix it with wine. They would offer it up to, to the criminal and, and they, they would give it to the criminal. Now, remember, Jesus was, the, what did the wise men bring to Jesus? They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh when he was a baby, right, in Bethlehem. And that gold, that showed us that he would be a king. That frankincense showed us that he would be a priest, and that myrrh showed us, showed us that he would pay for the sins of the world. It was telegraphing that here, here is a, a, it was sending us a message that he would have to die. And so myrrh was often given to a, a, to a dying person. 
You would give it to somebody dying to ease the pain. And so you say, well, why would the soldiers offer this myrrh? Why would they offer this to Jesus? Was it because they wanted to ease his pain? No, they weren't wanting, weren't, there was nothing about trying to ease the pain of Jesus. Uh, their whole deal was that they would, here's what would happen when you crucified somebody. And remember, Roman crucifixion, they crucified countless people. It was, Jesus wasn't the only person. This wasn't like the first crucifixion. This was a regular thing that happened. And so uh, as part of their regular routine, they would offer this myrrh mixture up to the, to the person on the cross, and they would give it to them so that they would not be moaning, so that they would not be crying, so you wouldn't hear them screaming. S- sometimes it would take days for a person to die on a cross. And so they, did, they just didn't want to hear this moaning and screaming. It was more about their comfort, the, the comfort of the soldiers, than anything to do with the person on the cross. So Jesus, why doesn't he take it? You know, when, when, whenever, uh, whenever my wife had our children, whenever we went into the hospital, first thing they asked her is like, would you like to do this natural or would you like to have an epidural? And my wife, without even blinking, says, I'll take the epidural. Okay, she is not going to do that naturally. We did that twice, and she, nothing natural was going to happen there, right? She said, it's natural enough. And uh, many people can do that naturally, and I say, more power to you. But, you know, there, there was no, there was no um, escaping the pain for Jesus on the cross. He wasn't about to take the easy way out. He wasn't about to take the, the, the path of, uh, of no pain. He, he was going to, to the cross so that he could be fully aware when he paid for your sin, of what he was doing. And so he wasn't going wasn't to bypass pain. And by the way, on the cross, he doesn't complain. There's no complaining on the cross. He's not up there complaining and murmuring about him paying the sacrifice, about his pain. And as a matter of fact, the word I thirst is the only word on the cross that we hear about his pain. Verse 28, John chapter 19, 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were accomplished... Uh, what, what does he mean after this? After what? Well, after he had finished paying for the sins of humanity. After all, after all the needs of humanity, uh, of humanity had been met. After God's justice has been satisfied. After all this had been done. And after all the scripture has been fulfilled. Now he says, knowing that all, the, all things were com- accomplished. The scriptures were fulfilled. The, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. There's a few things that we learn about Jesus here. And so when, when he says, I thirst, uh, again, it's the, the only statement about his pain. He, just think of the day that he had. He'd been through the trials. He's, uh, he's been all night. He, he hasn't had any food or drink. And, uh, and they put the crown of thorns on him. They've been mocking him. They, they lashed him. Uh, they flogged him, and as they flogged him, they, they kept beating him. He's got literally hundreds of lacerations. He's, he's just an open flesh wound. He, he had to carry his cross. I, I read somewhere that it might have been up to two-hour walk that he carried that cross. And, you know, whenever, whenever you see that, that he's carrying this cross, it's like, wow, how could he have carried that cross that long? And you see this, this painful journey that he's on. And then he gets down to the cross, and he's on the cross. And as he's on the cross, you're, you're wondering, how in the world... Can he go through this from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon without murmuring, without complaining? And yet he does. And what does he say? He says, I thirst, is his fifth statement here. There's a few things that we learn from that. When he says, I thirst, what does he tell us? What, 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 is, what is he revealing to us? First of all, he's revealing to us that he's the God-man. 
Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And I want you to understand that because it is so important that, that we understand that he was not just God and he was not just man. Um, he was not a figment of God. He was not an essence of God. He is God and he is man. Over in Philippians, look at what Paul says here. He says, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness of men and being found in an appearance as a man. He emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Uh, he, he emptied himself. He, he, he took, it was like he, he took his God properties and instead of using the divine privileges, he lived as a man and yet he is still God, but yet he did not call on God to, uh, to perform a miracle and get him off the cross. He's come onto that cross, he's lived a perfect sinless life and he goes all the way down to the cross and he dies a sinner's death. Yet he was not a sinner. He dies a criminal's death, yet he's not a criminal. And he, he did that for you. So, so what happens whenever we understand this? Back in the day, there was a teaching. It was called docetism. And docetism was this mentality that, that this Jesus really wasn't, that, that, that he really wasn't God, that it wasn't God in a body, that he was God, but he didn't, it, you couldn't really, it wasn't his body. It was like, it just seemed like he had a body. And let me tell you the truth, folks. The scripture tells us that Jesus ate, he drank, he got tired, and now on the cross we see that he thirsted. You see, God needed a body. Jesus is in a body, and he needed that to die to pay your sin. If he were not human, we would not have a sacrifice. His human sacrifice that he came to pay for your sin, his humanity being the only perfect son of God. Now, I want you to understand, too, that we are all less than human. I have said this before, that when you're thinking of being 100% man, uh, you know what, I think that most of us, all of us, we are less than human. In other words, God, Jesus, was 100% man. He lived the perfect, sinless life. Adam, Paul refers to Jesus in another instance as the second Adam, Adam had sin. He had the perfect environment. God gave him everything in the perfect environment, and he sins. Adam and Eve sin. So we know, all we know of humans is humans that are flawed. We know humans that have problems. Every one of us, we are flawed and have a problem. Jesus had no flaws. There was no problem to his being. And so he lived the perfect life. He was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And, uh, and the second thing in your notes, if you're taking notes this morning on the back of the Bolton, Jesus is the promised Savior. He is the promised Savior. Do you realize there were 380 prophecies that were fulfilled? 380 prophecies. God gave a picture as he, as he kept promising that the Messiah will come. The Messiah will come. He kept letting out these little, little details about what the Messiah would look like. This is how you'll recognize him. This is how you'll know him. And so you, you get these little details, and there were 380 of those details that came out. And in Christ, 380 of those prophecies are fulfilled. Uh, you couldn't be the Messiah unless 380 of these prophecies were fulfilled. They all came true. And I'm just going to highlight a few of them. He was born in Bethlehem. We celebrate that at Christmas. Uh, Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem, but they went back to Bethlehem for the census. While they're there, Mary, uh, Mary and Joseph 
uh, they, they see that, uh, that you know, Jesus comes and Mary, Mary has this baby Jesus. So there he is, born in Bethlehem. He would be taken to Egypt. That was prophesied that he would come out of Egypt. And so uh, when he was two, what happened? The king, king's trying to kill all the babies. Try, he's, he realizes that Jesus would be a threat, the Messiah would be a threat. So they flee and they go to Egypt. He would be raised in Nazareth. Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. For when they came back from Egypt, they raised them in their hometown of Nazareth. He will do miracles. He will raise the dead. This is all foretold. He will be, he'll be betrayed by a friend. He'll be falsely accused, and he would be proven innocent. He would be hung on a tree. I mean, th- this is incredible. If you go to Psalm chapter 22, Psalm chapter 22 is written about a thousand years before Jesus goes to the cross. And a thousand years before, uh, they did not know what a Roman crucifixion was. So you see all the insights of a Roman crucifixion, yet they had never seen a Roman crucifixion. It's kind of powerful. Uh, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. I'll just give you a little bit here. Uh, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, tortures, uh, that, that, that he would be tortured for, the, for the, you know, the tortures would gamble for his clothing, that his bones would not be broken. It's all foretold. Let me just read you a little bit more in Psalm 22, beginning verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. There's the, there's the eye thirst. See, he, he would be thirsty on the cross. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. There's the cross. His hands were pierced on the cross. His feet were pierced on the cross. I, I count all my bones. None of his bones would be broken. That was another, another prophecy that, would be for, that was foretold that would come true. They look at me and they stare at me. He would be forsaken by God. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So all these scriptures were being fulfilled. There's 380 of them and they come together and it's like, wow, this is the Messiah. And even the fact that he would be given vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, 21 says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. If you read John chapter 19, verse 29, Then a vessel full of sour wine, vinegar, was sitting there. And they filled a sponge with sour wine, vinegar, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. What happened was there, there was a common drink. It was, known, uh, it was known as Pasca. And Pasca was this sour wine. And the, and the, and the uh, soldiers would often drink it. Uh, to me, it would be a little bit more than flavored water, okay? It had a bitter taste to it. it what it was was they would take the wine after it spoiled, and they would dilute it down with, with, with water, throw some herbs in it, and it was like the poor man's drink in his canteen. And so the working class would have this drink. It was very common. The soldiers would keep it with them throughout the day just to get through the day type of thing. 
And so when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, I thirst, what happens? They come over, and it says that they took a hyssop, took a hyssop branch, put a sponge on it, dip it down into this vinegar, okay, and they put it up to his mouth. Now, there's, there, not only is it interesting that, that the vinegar was foretold, but I want to show you another little insight here, another imagery, because this was the Passover. This was the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Um, what, the Passover originated in the, in, when the, the children of Israel were in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, remember, Moses, let my people go. He keeps going to Pharaoh, let my people go. God uses all the plagues. And the last and the greatest plague was the death angel. And this is where the Passover was, was started. And God told his people, he said, to put, put the blood on the doorpost, on, on, on the side. And, and the, when the death angel comes, he'll pass over over your house. Now, I want to show you something interesting that, that connects us all together. Exodus 12, 22. Look what God told Moses. This was their instruction for the Passover, for the first Passover, not the feast, the actual Passover with the death angel. And you shall take a bunch of what? Hyssop. What did they just use at the cross to give Jesus water? Hyssop. Wow. Do you see the imagery? Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. You know, when that Roman soldier just grabbed a hyssop branch, he had no clue what he was doing. He had no clue that there would be, that there would be something of value and significance. He, he, he was a Roman soldier. He didn't, probably didn't even understand anything about the Scripture. He's just doing his job, and he picks up a hyssop branch. And God has a hyssop branch right there. And you see up on to the, to the sacrifice, to the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. You know, God loves us so much. When, when he died, I, you know, John said this. John said when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he, as he was on the cross, he was paying for your sin. He's paying for my sin. And as he cries out, I thirst, we see the, the, the humanity of Christ, and it's so important because God said that he promised that a Messiah would come. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and you see he says that from the seed of the woman, all right, from the seed of the woman, that he would crush the head of Satan and that Satan would bite his heel. And we see this coming true right here on the cross. I love what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8, he says, very, rare, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But Jesus, look what he says about 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. While that we were still sinners, we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There it is. There it is. He, he knows all about your sin, and he still is paying the price on the cross. So this question I ask you this morning is, what do I thirst for? What do you thirst for? What, what is it that, that, that drives your life? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, I believe he was thirsting for a few things. He was thirsting, number one, for water, because he, he wanted to make his statements. He had two more statements that we're going to look at in the next two weeks, and he wanted them to be heard. 
He hasn't said anything for uh, most of the day. He's just a few statements here. And so he takes a little bit of water. And number one, so he has a thirst for water. Number two, he has a thirst for you. That's what he did on the cross. It was all about you. He died to pay for your sin. So he has a thirst for you. Number three, he has a thirst for the Father. For at this point, he is being separated from his Father. God the Father and God the Son are now in separation. So he's, he has this extreme thirst. And I started thinking about our own life. What is it that we thirst for? You know, so many people, we have so many things that, that, that we thirst for, that we spirit, have spiritual thirst, and yet we don't realize it. We say things like, well, I'm unfulfilled. You, you ever said that in time in your life? I just feel so unfulfilled. Or, or maybe you say, I'm, I'm bored. I'm just kind of bored with my life. Or even, uh, I'm dissatisfied. I, I'm empty. I feel so empty. I feel unhappy. Um, I, I always want more, something more. There's got to be something more. You see, those are descriptive terms of a spiritual thirst. And maybe you, maybe you can come in this morning, you can identify. You're, you're saying, man, in my life, I, I'm dealing with some of these. Could it be that you're spiritually thirsty this morning? Could it be that we're looking to all the wrong places to get our thirst met? You see, Jesus said that he would be the one that would take care of your thirst. And, uh, be, uh, and outside of a relationship with him, there is nobody that can take care of that. So you can try to fill your life with whatever. You can go out and try and fill it with sex, try to fill it with drugs, try to fill it with a hobby, try to fill it with sports, try to fill it with business, try to fill it with relationships. You name it, you can try and fill that thirst. You can try and quench that thirst. But at the end of the day, you want more. You need more, and so you're thirsty. It's like you're, you, you have to keep going back for more. In the meantime, God says, come to me. Now, over in Amos chapter 8, Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, this is an interesting passage, and I think it describes a little bit of our culture today. Uh, see if you see, see how the world we live in today. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. See that? The famine would come whenever people are searching for the Lord and they're not finding him. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Sound like our world we live in? You want to take a vacation? Just go ahead and go, right? Just hop on a plane. We're, we're gone. We go across borders all the time. I can, I can be across the world in, in, in 12 hours, right? It's, it's amazing what we can do. It says that they would be coming and going, and they would still not find the Lord. All this stuff just won't meet the need. Uh, beautiful girls and strong men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. You see, so many people in our world, including us from time to time, we are thirsting for God's word and we try to fill it with something else. And yet we don't even understand this drive in our life. We are trying to fill this thirst. So this morning, I want to encourage you, if you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to, he is the well that will never run dry. He is the well that will continually, it's, he's a perpetual spring. Everyone is spiritually thirsty. Everyone is in need of God. And, and if you're already drinking of the well, if you're already drinking of Jesus, I want to encourage you to go out and, and, and serve other people. Uh, because when we serve other people, that's whenever we're helping people with their thirst. 
You know, we've got this big egg hunt coming up. And you, and you wonder, why in the world are we doing an egg hunt at a church, right? Let me tell you why we're doing it. Because they're, they're spiritually, people in our world are spiritually thirsty. And as they come up and they have an experience here, they may check, check out an egg hunt. What we do is we, we love them, we care for them, we build relationships, and we bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Because they may come looking for an egg. And our prayer is that they will leave finding Jesus. And that's what this is all about. And so in your, in your business, you, you, you folks work out in the business world. God's going to use you in your business world. You're gonna, he's going to use you in your recreation world. He's going to use you all those places because there are so many people that are so thirsty. And he just wants you to love them. He wants you to serve them. So learn to serve other people. Uh, Matthew 25 says this, verse 37, then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and, uh, and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see a sick, a, a sick or in prison or in, and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. And so as, as, we're, as we've been drinking from the well that never runs dry, our job is to go out and say, hey, would you like a drink? Would you, would, would you like a drink? I'll tell you what, I'd, I've, got, I've been satisfied. My life has been satisfied. It has been changed, and I want you to drink of the same drink. Because once you drink of this, your life will be changed. You'll never be thirsty again. Imagine that. You'll never have to have a desire to keep going higher and higher and higher because you'll have peace. Uh, this week, I had a great opportunity to, to uh, I was at a breakfast in Pittsburgh, and I heard Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan is the fellow that broke the, uh, the world's record, originally broke the world's record for the, the running the mile. He was three miles and 50 seconds, and, uh, and, and so he, he holds that title, and he gave his testimony. And I'll never forget, he said, you know what, I've experienced a lot of success in life, but the greatest thing happened to me when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, and I bowed my head and I prayed and I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And he said, what I got out of that was peace. He said, and I just can't explain it. I can't give you enough detail. But as I live my life and I'm dealing with certain things, I am seeing peace. And he says, I've had ups, I've had downs, I've had all kinds of things in between. But since that time that he came to Christ, he has peace. You see, he, he went from dealing with thirst his thirst was quenched in Jesus Christ. Um, I, I want to encourage you today to, to go out and serve people in our community, serve people in our church. I shared a few weeks ago, what, what, if, we, what if we just helped a single mother? You know, we have a number of single mothers in our church. What, what if we were to make meals to help the single mothers in our church? They're working hard. They're trying to provide and take care, take care of their children. What if we gave them a meal? What if you took a meal to your neighbor? and start to care for them. We start to serve them. See, people are thirsty, and we have the answers. We have the, we have the water that will quench their thirst. It will never run dry. How do you get your thirst satisfied? How do you get it satisfied? If we're all thirsty, we all have this drive, and, and, and how do you get it satisfied? Well, you get it satisfied by understanding what you're really thirsty for. And if you just stop for a minute and, and, and step back and look at your life and say, okay, I thought I was really thirsty for my career. I thought I was really thirsty for relationships. I thought I was really thirsty for money. And then if you stand back and you start to look at it and say, wow, 
could it be that there's a God missing in my life? That, that there's a hole in my life that only God can fill? Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land and where there is no water. Stop looking for fulfillment in other places. Stop looking to get your thirst met in, in all the wrong places. It's just so easy to go to all the wrong places. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2.13. This is an interesting verse that he gives us here. Jeremiah 2.13. He says, for my people have done two evil things. And I think this, when, you know, when you hear something like that, you want to pay attention. Two evil things. They have abandoned me. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. So there's number one. This is what we do. Even as believers, we can go out and we can abandon the fountain of living water. That's who God is. This is what Jesus does for us. He is the perpetual spring. We tend to abandon him because we get more excited about our career, get more excited about the things that are so temporal. Second thing, second half of the verse. And they have dug themselves. Here's the second thing they've done. They've dug themselves for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. They've abandoned the, the, the living water and they've come and they've tried to dig their own wells. And as they dig their own wells, they find that it just doesn't meet the need. And, and how, how many of us can look at our life and you say, wow, I've gone through life and I've experienced that. You know, there, there's times, even as a follower of Christ, it's like, okay, you get real hot with God and you get real excited about getting into his word and then you just kind of grow cold. And, you, and you, all of a sudden, you start to find your, your, your excitement in other places. You find it from things that are so temporary. You find it in things that just aren't really meeting the need. And then you get on that hamster wheel. And it's like, man, I just feel like I'm running all the time. And I feel like nothing satisfies. Well, Jesus is the eternal spring. John seven thirty seven on the last day the climax of a festival. Look what Jesus says. He stood up and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who's thirsty. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. That's what God does for us. Do you realize that Jesus thirsts so that you never have to thirst again? When he said, I thirst on a cross, he was thirsting for you, he's thirsting for God, and he's thirsting for a drink of water so he can proclaim his, his message. But he did that so that you never have to thirst again. You never have to come back, and you never have to get higher. You never have to find the next high on a drug. Man, we're living in an epidemic world right now in our culture. Western Pennsylvania, this is one of the hotbeds of drugs, man. It's crazy what's happening right now, isn't it? It's like you, how many, how, um, raise your hand if you know somebody that has overdosed. Raise your hand, okay? This is sad. This is ha most of our church. We know people. I have lost a brother to overdose. And that was before it was fashionable in Western Pennsylvania. It's like, wow, this is, this is out of hand. Why? Because people are thirsty and they need a Savior and there's nothing that will meet that need outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus thirsts so that you never have to thirst again and he's still thirsty for you to know, for you to know him. His thirst for you is to know him. 
And so today, as we close, I want to encourage you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came so that you might have eternal life. He came so that your life would begin now. You see, when you start to follow Christ and you drink of his well, life begins today, not when you get to heaven. That's the next stage. You get to have life. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And so my invitation to you this morning is will you come and drink from the well of eternal life? Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to walk in his ways, to just trust him this morning. And as we close this morning, maybe you could, maybe you say, Pastor Ken, I have really not been following God. I have, I have been drinking from the wrong well. I have, uh, I've been going out and trying to dig up my own well. Maybe it was your career. Maybe it was whatever we've talked about. Or maybe it's something we haven't talked about. But maybe this morning you need to just come and humble yourself before the Almighty. And if if that's you, I would invite you to to trust him this morning and to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I've been drinking from the wrong well. And today, I'm coming to you. I thank you that you thirst on that cross so that I'll never have to thirst again. Thank you for dying on that cross paying for my sin for coming back to life again for me God I give you my sin I ask you forgiveness for forgiveness and I thank you for the life that you give me now and maybe for others in this place you you just need to call on him maybe you've been a follower of Christ for some time but You've been drinking from the wrong well again. You went out and you thought you'd find it in your job. You thought you'd find it in so many places. But it's not there. Come and drink again from the living water. Come back to him this morning and say, just maybe you just need to say, God, I'm coming home. I'm so sorry that I've tried to find what only you can give in so many of the wrong places. Father, be with your people as they respond to you now, Lord. Would you work in our lives? Be with those this morning that have just prayed and opened their hearts to you. I pray that you'll transform their life. May they see the power of Almighty God work at work in their life. And Lord, for many believers today that, that have retuned their hearts to come drink from your well, I pray that you'll give them great encouragement as we thank you for your thirst on the cross, your thirst for us, your thirst for the Father. In your name we pray. Would you stand and sing as we close? Oh, what a sing.